Great, we're reading from John chapter 11, um, and that's on page 1078 in the Blue Church Bibles. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you I knew that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you have sent me When he had said this Jesus called out in a loud voice Lazarus come out The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face Jesus said to them Take off the grave clothes and let him go. But let's pray as we come to this part of God's word. 
Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that in these words are life for us. We pray that there be nothing standing between us and that as we hear them now. Whatever is distracting us, whatever is troubling us, we pray that you, you would find a way through to our hearts, Lord. We need to hear from you, especially on what this, this passage is about. Help us to hear, Lord, for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. Because most of the time, we would rather not think about death. Most of the time, our attention is probably focused on the bit in the middle of life, um, assuming a, a kind of long three score and ten years um, when we're younger, a lot of the, um, the time is spent thinking, what are you going to do in that kind of middle stage? What job are you going to have? Who are you going to marry? Who are you going to do this with? What, where are you going to live? All of these kind of questions are really geared towards that middle part. I think perhaps often for those who come to the end of that stage, there's also a tendency to prefer to look back to that stage, to miss that stage, to miss everything that came with it. We would rather not think about the end of life. We would rather explain it away with euphemisms. We would rather try to contain it in hospitals and hospices. We'd rather try to desensitize ourselves to it with with dark humor or as we watch Actors pretend to die on films and TV, or we see death a step removed through screens on the news. Sometimes we watch the same actor die multiple times. I think the actor Sean Bean has kind of made a career out of it. I think he's on 24 now. 24 times we have seen him die on screen. These are kind of the ways that we use to try and make death feel less real, less terrifying. We try to set up a screen or a wall between us and death. But at the funeral, a funeral like the one we have in John chapter 11 today, there is a tear in the screen. The wall starts to crumble. Death bursts through and confronts us with its terrible reality. The one that you loved was alive and now is not. They are gone from you, never to return to this life. And at the funeral, the, the next thought that creeps into each heart is this. One day it will be me. One day it will be my funeral. Last week we were looking at the build-up to this funeral of Lazarus. And we saw to in verses 1 to 16 of John 11, we saw Jesus' real determination 
to face his own death. And we ended there with Thomas, one of the disciples, saying to the other disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Here in, our, in this part of the, the account, we pick up on that, and we're really thinking today about what it means to go and die with Jesus, what it means to face death with Jesus. And perhaps this has been on your mind lately. Perhaps you have been bereaved recently, or even your own death it suddenly seems a lot closer than it used to. Or maybe you have tried and mostly succeeded in keeping it far from your mind this week. But this is the theme that God's word has presented us with today. He wants us to face up to this today. Because one day, however many times and many ways we might try to avoid it, one day we will face death. One day it will be my funeral. One day it will be yours. How do we face that? Here in John 11, we're going to see what it means to face death with Jesus, as Jesus has really four conversations, four conversations, four things to say about death. And each of them gives us something to hang on to, something to call to mind and hold in our hearts as we think about death, whether that death is our own or others' deaths. I'm going to speak about each of these conversations and then try and boil each one down to just one word that we can keep and remember. So the first conversation Jesus has about death is with Martha, with one of Lazarus' sisters. And so in verse 19, he tells us, Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What really stands out about Martha here is her hope. The hope that she has. In her grief, she is clinging to two things. She's clinging to a hope that at the end of history, God will give eternal life to those who believed in God but have died. That was a common belief among Jews at the time. It comes from Daniel chapter 12. You can look it up perhaps later. She believed that at the end of history, God would give eternal life to those who believed in him. The second part of her hope is a hope that Jesus can in some way do something about all this. She's not very clear on what or how, but she knows that in some way Jesus is the key. 
to all this. She knows and she believes these things. Though I don't think she's expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus right away. I don't think she dares even ask for that. She does believe in Jesus, but for her, hope is something that is far on the horizon in the distant future at the end of history. Later on, when Jesus says, roll the stone away, she still expects the smell of a decaying body. She has a hope of life beyond death, but it's kind of vague. It somehow connects to Jesus, but it's kind of vague and very far in the future. She doesn't expect anything now. So she has hope, and here's the conversation. Jesus meets her and gives her more hope. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She gets it. She gets who Jesus is, but there is still more hope for her to find here. We've seen before in John, Jesus has been making these big I am statements. And each time he does it, it's this striking moment where he makes a huge claim to be something that only God can be. Here he claims to give life as only God can give life. In fact, he says not I give the resurrection and the life. He says I am the resurrection and the life. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? He's saying that 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 final last day resurrection, that eternal life, isn't simply from him. It is him. 17 and verse... He'll say this more clearly later on in chapter 17. In chapter 17 and verse 3, he's praying for his disciples at the Last Supper, and he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you... God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Eternal life is not simply a gift of many years to live that we get from Jesus. And then he just sort of leaves us alone to do what we want with it. No, eternal life is knowing God, and especially knowing God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Eternal life is the relationship with Jesus. It is knowing and being known. It is loving and being loved in the most perfect way possible. And the never-ending years of eternity are simply the large playground we are given in which to enjoy that relationship. But you see how this has the power to supercharge Martha's hope. 
hope of eternal life is, is no longer vague and distant. It is personal. It is present. If eternal life is all about knowing Jesus, then we're not talking about some undefined future start point. The resurrection and the life is standing there right in front of her. She doesn't need to wait for eternal life to begin. It's like he's grabbed the horizon and he's pulled it towards her in her present. This is what he means when he says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The life has already started. Life, eternal life, the spiritual life of being alive to God starts the moment we first know Jesus. It starts the moment that relationship begins. So to live by believing in Jesus is to believe in Jesus and find life now. To order our lives now, not just around a Savior we might meet in the future, but a Savior we already know now. And whoever does this, for whoever has spiritual life, there is no spiritual death waiting for us. The death of our bodies is just a door to enter that fullness of that spiritual life. Spiritual death has been taken by Jesus in our place. And so Martha is right in a way that we do wait for the return of Christ. We do wait for the end of history, for the full revealing of everything, for the full enjoyment of victory over death, to be finally free from sin and suffering and danger and death. But as we wait, we can take comfort and we can comfort each other that eternal life has already started because we know Jesus now. As Martha stands there facing death, Jesus is standing right there at her side. And as we face death, whether that is something that's happening for you today or something that will come years down the line, as Christians, we can face death with Jesus standing right there at our side, the resurrection and the life. We already have him. He has already risen. He's already made himself known to us. He meets each of us in our lives. And so we are already living in eternal life. And if that is true of us, then even though we die, we will live. It's the first conversation with Martha, the first conversation that helps us to face death with Jesus. And if there's one word that really sums this one up, it is hope. All our conversations about death, all our thoughts about death needed to be guided by this, by the hope that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and we have him now. Martha's hope. Jesus' second conversation is with Mary. With Martha, the focus was on hope. With Mary, it is more on her tears. So verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, 
and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping. By the way, I don't think we are supposed to be comparing the sisters here. I think Mary also has hope. What she says to Jesus is exactly the same thing as Martha said. Just like Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was there, she came running. And I'm sure that Martha had tears too. The the people were there at the funeral to comfort her too. But with Mary, the focus is on her tears. And what is striking about this conversation is not so much the words, is it? It's that Jesus starts weeping too. He saw Martha's hope and he met her with more hope. Now he sees Mary's tears and he meets her with more tears. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. I think sometimes, as Christians, the way that we talk about death, it comes from just being tempted to think that because we have a resurrection hope, that there is no room for tears about death. That funerals should just be all thanksgiving and celebration of eternal life, and then we just move on with our lives as though nothing happened, as though the person just popped to the shops and we'll be back with them soon. I think by extension, the idea that Christians should always be happy all the time. And what does that lead to? What kind of comfort do we give to others if that's what we think? Well, when we're supposed to be comforting others, it'll lead to us saying trite things like, they're in a better place you know you'll see them again, right? Very well true for Christians, but there's more to it than that. And when we are the ones who are bereaved, what it will lead us to is trying to suppress our tears and to layering on guilt over grief. Feeling like you're being unfaithful just because you're sad about this. Just because this hurts. Feeling like you should know better as a Christian. 
surely if anyone knew better, it was Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. He has come here to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows within minutes he will bring Lazarus back. and He will be talking to him. He knows that in moments, Mary will be reunited with her brother again. He knows all that, but still he weeps when he sees Mary weeping, when he sees the others weeping. He doesn't talk to them about hope this time. Doesn't even invite them to Hope Explored on Thursday. No, in compassion, in solidarity, he weeps with them. Why is he weeping here? Why is he weeping? Well, John uses quite an interesting, quite a rare word in verse 33, which our Bibles translate as deeply moved. And it does mean that. But the word also carries a sense of anger about it. Jesus is sharing not just our our sadness about death, but also the anger that we feel about death. When someone dies, we we don't just feel sad and, and miss them. We feel this ought not to be a thing. There is something deeply wrong about this. And Jesus feels that too. We feel so angry. We feel someone, surely someone should do something about this. Is there no one who can do anything about this? And Jesus feels that too. And he knows he is the one who has to do something about it. That word, deeply moved, is also the word that would be used to describe the way that a war horse would snort loudly before charging into battle. That is what Jesus has come to this funeral to do. He has come to this funeral to fight, to declare war on death. Let me at it, he's saying. Where have you laid him? Let's do this. Now, we would try to fight death by trying to delay it, trying to avoid it, trying to fool ourselves that it's not that big of a deal. We're always going to lose the fight in the end. We need someone to fight death for us all the way until it loses. We've been going through John's gospel, and John has recorded for us in his account of Jesus' life a series of seven, he calls them signs, seven miracles that Jesus does that are signposts that point to who Jesus is, to the fact that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. He turned water into wine, he healed the official's son, he healed the paralyzed man, he fed the 5,000, he walked on water, he healed the blind man, and this is the seventh. This is the last, this is the climax of the series, because ever since Genesis and the account of the seven days of creation, seven has always been a picture in the Bible of a complete 
work of God of completeness. And God's work has to face death to be complete. Whatever Jesus is doing on the earth, if he doesn't face death, then all of his other works are going to be undone by death. Those healed people are still going to die one day. He has to do something about the big one. And before this, before this last sign that he's about to do, Jesus shows us his tearful resolve to do that, to take the fight to death, whatever it costs him. And it did cost him everything. On the cross, Jesus does battle with the worst of our death, with the full sting of death, with the spiritual judgment of God. He dies in our place. And we were thinking last week about how even in coming to Lazarus, he is putting himself in the way of that. He's coming to do this miracle that is going to draw out all those enemies who hate him and want to kill him, who live so close to Lazarus. And Jesus deliberately goes and does it anyway. And so if we take from that first conversation the word hope, let's take from the second the word tears. As well as hope, tears are an appropriate part of facing death with Jesus. Don't feel guilty if death, and by extension any suffering, moves you to tears because Jesus wept. This is the right response. This is Jesus we're talking about. This is our God, fully God, fully human, Weeping at a graveside. I don't know what your idea of God is tonight. Maybe you think he's some cold, distant CEO up in the sky or a heartless judge. God took on humanity to make himself known to us in the language of being human. And he did that as a man of sorrows. He did that with tears in his eyes. It's too big to hold all this together, and those who are watching struggle to hold it all together. In verse 36, some of the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And that's the great tension here. Jesus' tears show his love, his desire to fight death, but it has to be more than a desire. He can do all these miracles, but if his own friend, Lazarus, is still dead, what does it even matter? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, He said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see 
the glory of God. Jesus is still deeply moved. And as one who is deeply moved, he takes action. Now the time for action has come. See his confidence, see his authority as he faces death here. And that confidence is rooted in his third conversation about death. I'm not talking about continuing his conversation with Martha. I'm talking about the conversation he now has with his Father in heaven. Verse 41. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This is what Jesus has been showing and saying all the way through John's gospel. He's been showing how he has been sent from the Father, how he is working with the Father, how he and the Father are one, equal, God. He knows that. But now if we want to live, we need to know that. We need to know that because eternal life is knowing God and the Son he sent. This is what Jesus prays for us. Jesus had already prayed for Lazarus. He'd already prayed and that prayer had already been heard. He knew what was about to happen. It was already decided. But Jesus makes his prayer public so we can see who he is, so we can know who he comes from. Those of you who were here last week, you might remember back in chapter 11, verse 4, where Jesus said why all of this with Lazarus was happening, why Lazarus had been allowed to die. He said in verse 4, all of this is happening for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You might notice that glory language appears again when he's talking to Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And then in verse 15, he had said that the reason this was happening is for his disciples' sake, for their sake, so that they can believe, so that we too can believe. Jesus is praying that those who are watching what is happening here, including us, can know him and know his Father so we too can have life. This isn't just about Lazarus. This is a sign that is pointing to Jesus so that we can believe, so that we can find life, so that we can see his glory. And that's the word for this third conversation. Hope, tears, and glory. When we're facing death with Jesus, remember that in some way, all this is going to help us see God's glory more. All this is going to help us to let God's bright, shining brilliance shine on us and warm us more, to help us feel the weighty impact of his significance. You may not see it all right away, but this is why God is allowing death 
to happen, allowing us to face it. That's the arena in which we gain the best understanding of who he is, of how he loves us, of how glorious he is. Let that come into our prayers as we pray facing death. Perhaps let something of Jesus' prayer echo in our prayers. Pray that we might somehow see Jesus' glory in this and through this. And then, at last, Jesus does the miracle. This massive, long build-up and explanation, and then it is blindingly quick. The fourth and the final conversation is with Lazarus, in verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In a way, this shouldn't surprise us if we've been following along with what Jesus has been saying about himself in John's gospel. Back in chapter 5, in verse 25, he said, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He was talking about that great end of day's resurrection, but he was bringing it into the present. A time is coming and has now come. And the way in which he raises Lazarus is a dramatic acting out of exactly that. He pulls that, that future resurrection into the present and says, I am here now. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice how one-sided this conversation with Lazarus is. Jesus says, come out. Lazarus comes out. It's an interesting kind of subtle follow-on from some of the themes we've been seeing here. If you, if you work backwards here, you've, you've seen Mary be called by Jesus and come running. We've seen Martha hearing that Jesus is coming and come running. And back in chapter 10, Jesus had said that he was the good shepherd and his sheep, those who belong to him, they follow him because they know his voice. He calls his sheep by name. So even as they face death, even in their grief, these sisters hear and answer Jesus' call on their life. But in this miracle, even dead, Lazarus hears and answers Jesus' call. This is the power of life in Christ, that the one who believes in Jesus will live even though they die. And it's a life that happens by 
hearing Jesus' voice. Hope, tears, glory, hear. Hear the voice of the Son of God. It's been a big theme over the last few weeks, so I won't repeat everything that we've said there, but I will say this. This is the end point of that. This is what we're looking forward to as we talk about listening to Jesus and following Jesus' voice now. That if we make it our habit in this life to hear Jesus' voice, then even after our bodies have died, we will still hear Jesus' voice and come to him when he calls. As he calls us into eternal life. Four conversations about death. Four words to carry with us and perhaps spend some time this week taking to heart as we face death with Jesus. Hope. Tears. Glory. Here. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you to you for your great answer to death here. We thank you that you come to bring us hope, to weep with us, to show your glory through this. You come to call us into eternal life. Lord, we pray that we would hear this, your word. We pray that eternal life would be ours as we know you. And that would give us the courage to face death and suffering in all its forms. This week and beyond for the rest of our lives until faith is sight, until we see your glory fully. Amen.